Hi, everybody. Will here with this week's interview chair. With this week, we have Jay Richardson, professional handler, professional handler, AKC judge, and just a good guy. <laughs> I know. Anyway, sit back and enjoy and listen to Jay for an hour. Everybody, Will here with this week's interview chair. It is my dear friend, Jay Richardson, ex-professional handler, AKC judge, and just good old round good guy. <laughs> How's it going, man? I'm good. I'm good. Did you enjoy yourself yesterday? Did you watch any of, the, of Westminster? I did. I, I watched all the groups and stuff. I watched some of the brief judging on the videos and stuff. But, um, I, I think the camera work is great on the, the videos. They've gotten so good at the, on the live streaming. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy myself. And I sat, I sat in my my kitchen and I watched Wayne Judge all morning and all afternoon. <laughs> I oh, did well. my uh, traditional deep dish pizza. Oh, did you? That's what I order for for dinner both nights: deep dish pizza and just sit and watch the groups. I think that's what I'm doing tonight. We have a hockey game tonight. That's what I'm doing tonight. Anyway, we're we're, we're getting off track. Tell me, how did you get involved in the sport of dogs? And how old were you when you got involved? I think I probably was about 12, 10 in that range when I showed the first standard poodle in juniors. My parents raised poodles. They, they started with standards, and um, then they gravitated more towards the toys. They had a couple miniatures, but you know, the, as they got a little older, too, the toys were a lot easier than dealing with the standard poodles. Um, they got started in it. Basically, we lived in a, a community, Mount Prospect, Illinois, outside Chicago, and some people moved next door. He was a Navy aviator at the Naval Air Station not too far away. They had a standard poodle. I always remembered her name. Her name was Wycliffe Vanessa, wow. read by Jean Thomas. And she was the little sister to a dog who did some winning and was, I believe, a pretty good sire, a dog by the name of Wycliffe Virgil. Oh, I knew that dog, Virgil, yeah. Well, I didn't and know, but by, I know of the dog. Obviously. Yeah, owned by a lady who lived actually not too, turned out not too far away, Joan. It was Joan Schalke at the time she did get married, Joan Wicklander. And she bred some dogs who did winning over the years and stuff. I think Buddy Dickey did winning with the dogs she bred. But, you know, we fell in love with the, the breed. And my dad, with the, us bugging him, finally told my mom, okay, you can go buy a dog. Here's $50. Well, my mom found an ad in the paper and outsmarted dad because she took the checkbook. And we, I think she paid 100 or $150 for this black pet standard poodle and that's how things got rolling along um their first show dogs came from a lady by the name of susan north who darken was her kennel name but they were really all beltor brown standard poodles okay so and then just kept going after that well how did you so your your parents have this standard poodle who was in charge of showing this first standard poodle um my dad showed him i just showed him juniors um I, the first dog I really probably showed or tried to show was um, outside of juniors. They had a litter and we kept a couple and the, the brown dog we kept, 
I mean, when you look back, you wonder why they did what they did. Um, he was a horse. He was like 27, 28 inches in that range. And, you know, they didn't trim the puppies as much then. So it was like a half a day's job to bathe them and blow dry them and stuff. And I had a paper route at the time. I used to take him out with me in the paper route every morning. And he'd run loose and stuff. I always remember he, there was a girl who was new on the paper route next to mine. And I, she would come around the corner in the adjoining area. And I thought she like, I think she peed in her pants. She thought he was a brown bear running loose in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, things progressed. I mean, you know, it, uh, it was fun. I just always enjoyed it. I, I usually ended up in juniors with the untrained puppies. I didn't terribly have a terribly successful junior showmanship career because of that. But I do think it taught me well. It taught me how to lose. Yeah. And I did a lot of that. <laughs> a lot. How did you know at what point, like you're, you're 12 now or something like that, how did you know that dogs were going to basically be your life? I don't think I did at that point. And then I think I was about 14 um, when I went to work after school for Lynn Welsh and Mabel Welsh. Uh, they had Alakaira Poodles. Um, Lynn and Mabel were the founding people behind the Wheaton Kennel Club. And Lynn. Hey, what uh, poodles did they have? Alakaira was their kennel name. Okay. They were very successful. Um, at that point, Mabel, they had they probably had about 20 dogs in the kennel, 25 dogs, a lot of toys and miniatures. I don't think they ever had standards. Um, Mabel wasn't in the greatest health. Um, she died probably about a year and a half after I started working there. And then about a year, eight months, something like that later, Lynn married Dorothy Welsh. So I inherited some colleagues to take care of, too, after school. So were you working in the kennel? Is that what you were doing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't a big kennel. Dorothy had, yeah, maybe eight collies or something like that. And by that time, because um, most of the poodles were older, they, there were less poodles and stuff. Um, I, a great education. I mean, Lynn, you, you'd, you'd go there after school, and you never know who would be in the visiting them. Uh, Forest Hall was there a lot. Larry Downing and he were very close. Larry was there a lot. Um, the Van Courts would stop when they came to Chicago and visit. It was it was an interesting place. I bet. Um, <laughs> got to meet a lot of people. So when did you start working at the dog shows? Um, I think I was about 16 when um, I started working for Denny Codner as an assistant on the weekends. She, uh, at the time, had the the big black German Shepherd. She'd won the group at the Garden with the Bear Dog. And I love German Shepherds. I love big dogs. I, I was drawn to them. That's why I didn't really care that much about the toy poodles, you know, the miniatures. But the standard poodles are, are what there is. The rest are okay, but... And what were you with Denny? Probably about five, six years. That's, that doesn't happen anymore, really. No, no. Um, I mean, it, I, I got yelled at a lot, it taught yeah. me a lot, taught me how to take care of dogs, how that, it taught me more than anything else. I think that was the most important thing about the handling business is taking care of the dogs. Yeah. The rest of it was secondary. You know, the care no of the question. dogs, the condition of the dogs. Um, I always enjoyed 
probably mornings, early mornings with all the dogs out in the X pen and stuff like that, the best quiet, you know, just you and the dogs and stuff. Um, I kind of think I decided at that point that I, I wanted to pursue a career as a handler. I saw it as an opportunity to be around more dogs than I ever would be able to own. Um, I think that kind of got me more than anything else, just being around the dogs. And I mean, I think in a way I got along better with most dogs than I did with more most people. <laughs> and most of us are like that, I think. <laughs> so did you work for anybody else other than Danny Codner? No. So when did you go on your own then? Um, in those days, um, you had it, it was towards the end. I, I did have a handler's license from AKC. I don't even remember what all I got because you had to you had to be 21 and then you could get a handler's license and go out on your own. Um, I actually remember flying to New York to meet um, Mr. Brumby, not Len, but his son was in charge of the handlers and stuff. And I had an interview with him and you know, about probably about five or six months after I got a handler's license is when they did away with licensing the handlers. And then just kind of fell into place. There's a lot more to it than that, Jay. What happened after that? So you're in, are you still in Chicago area? Yes. I pretty much lived in Chicago my whole life. Um, when did you get it? Did you did you go out and get a kennel? What did you do? How did you get started? Um, you know, it, it just seems you know you get a couple dogs to show, like a couple of um, people that Denny had shown some dogs for, Springers and some Siberians and stuff, and then it just kind of you know get a couple more and a couple more, and you know, I had a I had a kennel in um, Lakemore, Illinois, um, which is located. Um, this is Chicago suburb I'm out in the boondocks a little bit, um, not too far from Island Lake where Ken and Virginia live. Okay. I'm in that area. Um, and then, um, I eventually, um, moved to Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is where I handled out of pretty much the rest of the time. How old were you this time, Jane? When you started on your own? 22. 22. Yeah. And and I mean I did not do it full time to begin with. I mean, you know, there wasn't that many dogs to show. I did have another job. Worked for Baxter Travenal, um, the medical supply people and stuff. Oh, okay. But shortly thereafter I was able to, you know, get enough to to go on my own. And what was your first dog that sort of got you on the map? I'm not sure. There were there were a couple dogs. Um, I think the um, I started showing some dandies. Um, now, did Denny work on terriers at all? She had some. She had a couple Norwich and a couple. Um, um, she had one client that she showed some Norwich for, and I think we had like a couple Australian terriers, but no, that was about it. But like, like a dandy dandy is a difficult dog to trim and condition. How, how did you just, just woke up and just did it? Well, I was, um, kind of involved with the girl who owned the dog, um, Dawn. 
married for a few years. Um, and actually, when we started out, she did all the trimming. Um, then I, you know, got the dandies and I got soft coats to show, um, some border terriers. Uh, it just kind of, you know, it's, they just appear sometimes. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, it, it just like anything else. I mean, I, I, you learn by doing. This is certainly one of those businesses that you learn by doing, you learn by making mistakes, and hopefully you don't keep repeating the mistakes. I mean, that's what, to me, that's how you learn how to trim. Um, certainly, we're, I, I always thought I was lucky in this area, um, going to dog shows every weekend, seeing people like Dick Cooper every weekend, George Ward a lot and stuff. And I, I can't speak enough about how... Um, helpful they were i mean george would never do anything for you neither would dick but he would tell you things you're right you know? he'd tell you you could ask him and he would tell you what you did wrong and george too and i think that that that's one of the things that's so valuable in this business if you can find people like that um there were some people also the, the handlers in chicago that were very helpful to me when i got started betty jean and rich orsino who showed a lot of um, a lot of working dogs? I learned a lot by watching Rick show Rich show the tough Rottweilers and stuff like that, and and they sent some dogs you know, the, for me to show and stuff. Um, that's how I kind of got started in Ridgebacks was through them. No, you, you've shown a lot of different breeds, which is in uh, is not the norm down there nowadays. I guess. Few years back, it was more normal. What breed do you think you're most known for? Then, like I, I think of you. I, I, I told you earlier. I thought you bred dandies. <laughs> no, I never. I never bred any of them. I, I buy some of them. I, I thought a lot of people would think dandies. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people Ridgebacks. Um, showed a bunch of Dalmatians. Um, I, I always tried to actually. I thought it. It helpful to keep a blend of the the Ridgebacks and the Dalmatians, the Rottweilers, you know, the spit and go dogs, so to speak, versus the the dandies, the soft coats, the Westies. The dogs require more time to get them ready and things like that. Um, you're you're a guy of two hats because you you were a professional handler and now you're a successful judge. So the first question I want to I'm going to lean towards handling. If a young man or young woman came up to you and said they wanted to be a handler. What advice would you give them, Jay? It's funny. I had a conversation probably about a month ago with somebody about that. The first thing I would tell them is go find that boarding kennel, that grooming business, that pet care business, something like that. I think that if I had to do it over again, I would do that. Um, I think then having that, because the majority of money, I think, in dogs these days is in the pet business, the pet care and it gives you then the flexibility. You don't have to show every dog that people bring you to show. You can be a little bit more selective showing the, the dogs and showing for the people you want to show for. Um, I, I think that that is the best piece of advice I could get. I mean, I love showing dogs. It, it's given me an opportunity to, to see the world as a judge, to meet all kinds of terribly interesting people. And to be around great dogs, whether I showed them or just seeing them every weekend with another handler. And I think that that's, um, 
it's hard to uh, it's hard to imagine not doing this. I guess. Yeah. When did you retire from handling? I think it was about ninety two. Ninety-two. Wow, it didn't seem like it was that long ago, but it is. That's a long time ago. Yeah, that's, I, that's... I just got um, about a month ago, two months ago, like my twenty-fifth judging pin and certificate. So, and when it came, I thought I've been doing this that long. It, it, yeah, it does. It's weird. It that just all blends time. together. To, yeah. Yeah. So when you when you decided to when you retired, did you automatically decide you wanted to start judging? I wasn't sure. So what I ended up after talking, Maribeth had a lot to do with the judges at that time. And after talking to her, um, I ended up applying for 13 breeds um, over working, terrier, non-sporting. It, it was the 13 breeds I was most comfortable with. And I've always, I've always been happy I did it that way. Maybe it took me a little longer to get my first group, but I was very comfortable with what I thought the breed should look like when I walked into the brain. Sure. And I think there's a, it, it takes a while to find yourself as a judge. It takes a while to refine your procedure. I mean, it really, to me, there's really no right or wrong way to arrive at your decision. How you do it doesn't have to be the way I do it or the guy next door does it. You have to be comfortable using your thought process, how it works best for you. And I, I struggled a little bit when I first started with some of the bigger classes and stuff. So I never had to keep track of that type of thing. And um, if I had to do it over again, I'd probably do it the same way. Just yeah. Take the things I was really comfortable with. Well, so what was your was your first group? I know you did multiple breeds, different breeds. But what was the first group that you got? Was that terriers? Terriers. Yeah. Terriers, then working, then sporting. And I just finished non-sporting. So... I'm going to go backtrack a bit. How, how old were you when you first when you started judging? Forties. <laughs> <laughs> I like when we all think about how old am I right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably mid forties. Oh, I have I have one more backtrack question. When you were showing dogs, what was your? Do you have a highlight? Do you have a, do you have a win that that uh, sticks out in your mind that you? you you, you smile when you think about even now. There, there were a couple. I mean, there, there have been some highlights and certainly the low lights. Yeah, well, um, we all get those. You win a few, when if you lose a bunch. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think early on, one of the the, the things I was that I won. Um, some people brought me a Bernie's Mountain Dogs vessel to show, and that's when they were still in the working group and stuff. And I thought this dog was beautiful. He didn't always like being a show dog. And the national specialty was happened to be in Wisconsin. Um, Muriel Freeman, Mrs. Rottweiler, did that. And he wasn't always the greatest show dog. He didn't really like it. He was a pet dog, and he liked being a pet dog. It was very hard to motivate why I should get off the couch today to do this. And, and I'm days like that, Jay. He walked into that ring, and I never touched him. He just decided this was his day. And when we were getting the picture, Muriel said to me, "You know, this was really one of the easiest things I've done in a long time." 
And I just, you know, I'd never had anything like that happen to me where everything, and I've always told people going best in show is like, it's the day where everything went right, which makes up for all those days where nothing went right. And that was, that's one of the ones of the highlights. Those are fun though. And then Um, those things happen. The other one that meant a lot to me, I I had a dandy Dumont dog. He's the sire of the Luther dog. I did all the winning. with. Um, he was, he really was a, a different dog. He wasn't a great show dog. Um, it took him a long time to decide to be a show dog. Um, I always wanted to get one best in show on him. And um, Ace Amaze did that in a very, very competitive best in show. And that was the dog's one best in show. I didn't show him a lot. And it, it just really meant a lot to me, that dog. Um, he probably never won as much as he should have, but I think we've all had dogs like that that we looked at and think they should win a lot and whatever reason. And I find some dogs that further on in succession win more because of that dog you didn't win with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his son did a lot of winning. So, oh, yeah. you know, um, I showed up Beagle. I bet he won 50 groups. Got and he ended up with one best in show. Well, the next Beagle, who, I, who probably wasn't as good as him, 10 or 12 best in shows. Just, just I, I also think the highlights of showing dogs are for some of the breeders. I showed um, for Barbara Sawyer Brown, who just died about a week ago, the Ridgeback oh, yeah. Quay Tooth. Um, I showed elk hounds for a lady by the name of Bonnie Turner, who lived in Georgia, who bred some great dogs. And, and for some of my terrier clients, too, um, I got to show some soft-coated Wheatons for Gay Dunlap. Um, showing dogs for people like that just, I, I think, is the epitome of being a handler to, to, to show dogs for those great breeders that mm-hmm. without them, none of us would be anything. Oh, exactly. And then, and uh, I find it's a lot, we don't have enough of those breeders anymore that, that mm-hmm. have multiple litters in a year to, to choose from and, and really build I, a family of dogs, you know. Right. And I made the point in conversations recently that one of the things I, I find troublesome is most of the time you walk into a ring and you've got five of them. They all look different. They're all different makes or shape. The days of walking into a ring and looking at a dog and going, I know what kennel that dog came from. There aren't that prevalent anymore. Yeah. It's and I, I think part of it is that people have gone you read so much about the whole line breeding it's inbreeding and it's wrong. I, I remember as a young kid pouring over those poodle pedigrees because I was so interested and you'd see half sister bred to half brother and son bred this. And, you know, they were so tightly bred, but that's because that's what made them all look the same. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun when you, when you watch a judge and then they judge a, a, a large entry and they, pick a family of dogs and then it's not as it's not like you said it's not as prevalent anymore as it was back in the day because it was so easy to pick out say a Wycliffe standard poodle you could see you could pick it out easily you know but those days I'm, I'm sure there's still breeders out there that have family right. of dogs I would agree it's just there's not as many right, right. but breeding is much more difficult now I think well yeah you know. If you have more than two litters, you're considered a puppy mill. Puppy mill so it's, it's hard to, to, to find property to have a big cow if you could find help. And you know, The days of having 20 or 30 bitches is 
Long gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, you've been judging now for 30 years, years almost, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You've seen some dogs all over the world. Without commenting on dogs that are being shown actively, are there some dogs out there that you wish you could either been a part of either by showing or by judging of those dogs that stuck out in your mind that have left a huge impression on you? I mean, there's been, a, there's two dogs that have stuck in my mind that I had the same reaction after I went over them for the first time. And the first one was Mick. Mm-hmm. After I went over him, I saw him but I had never touched him. The first time I had him in the breed, after I went over him, as I stood up from going over him, I thought to myself, I now understand what the Kerry Blue Standard has described, because this is it. Um, The other dog that had an effect like that on me was Matisse, the the Portuguese water dog. I, I just went over him the first time and thought, oh my God, where'd this dog come from? Now. Um, Just down the road. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I know we're getting a picture. I said to Michael, well, I won't repeat exactly what I said, but basically I said, where did this dog come from? Where did you find this dog? Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Donna lives about an hour from me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh (laughs) And, and, you know, I I do think one of the joys of judging is to, to be able to find that dog that, that, hits all your notes that tickles your fancy, so to speak, and to reward them. And it it makes up for sometimes long days when one of those walks in the ring and you go, wow. Well, that brings me to my next question. Advice to, I just started my judging career, Jay. So what advice would you give a, a new judge? You can't make them what they aren't. You, you have to judge what's in front of you. You have to have in your mind what you think they're supposed to be. And I think important thing in, in many of these breeds, and I think everybody would agree with this, especially when you look about sporting breeds and stuff, to understand what the function of the breed is and what they were meant to do as a sporting dog. What, what environment do they hunt in? What birds do they have to pick up? I asked, I, there are two questions I sometimes ask myself at the end when it's like decision-making time. Certainly in sporting dogs, I will look and think, if I have to take one of these hunting, which one will it be? And other times I will ask myself, if I have to buy one of these for breeding, which one will I buy? Because I sometimes think that that helps me find the one that's maybe not the flashiest, maybe not the, quote, prettiest, but has those breed characteristics that are important to what makes them what they are. And I, I, I think when you start out judging, you, you sometimes overthink too. Just follow your gut, follow your gut feeling. You're going to be right way more than you're going to be wrong. Follow your instinct. Cause I think sometimes we all get that instinct. You look and you're not you're not really sure why you think this dog is that good of a dog. But your instincts say it really is. And then it probably turns out to be a really, really good dog. 
Um, over the years, you've had, well, you, again, you were a handler and a judge. What mentors, obviously, we talked about Denny already. Are there other people that have really impacted you on what you've, you, you, how you've gone forward? You talked about George, you talked about. I mean, Dick there's Cooper. been so many people that, you know, um, Lang Scarda had a great deal of influence on on me. I, I you know, show dogs to him. Um, when I worked for Denny, we showed the shepherd for him. Um, That'd be fun. <laughs> there's a few <laughs> stories there, for sure. Well, those are what we want to hear, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I I think I've learned a, a, some of his philosophy on judging dogs kind of rubbed off to get it done. Don't don't agonize over it. Don't spend a lot of time on it. You know, you, the longer you stand there, the more you look, the more confused you get to yourself. Um, I think you also always have to question yourself. I mean, I um, I used to question myself a lot more on the plane rides home. I'd replay things in my mind. Now I don't do it as much. Um, as I said, mentors, as, as a, you know, the young handler there, Sinos were very helpful to me. I, I don't know. They're just everybody you come in contact with, you can learn from. Now, there's always somebody out there who knows more about a breed than you do. Well, and I find that you find you get mentors that they don't even know they're mentors to you. So. It, it, it's been conversations with with other judges sitting watching breeds and stuff. It's been you know, you know I I think my opinion, not maybe by my opinion, but what I think is important in a breed has changed in, in breeds based upon judging them on a regular basis. You know, seeing them, talking to the people you put up and the people you don't put up. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, there's such a there's information out there. You just have to sort it out. So what's, what's, you said you weren't going any further. You're judging, you got to stop at your four groups. You judge sporting, working terriers and non-sporting. That's enough for Jay. It is. Yeah, it is. I mean, looking at the, the, the process, it's, it's time consuming. It's not inexpensive. Um, I'm happy with what I'm judging. I mean, there are, there are certainly other breeds I would love to judge. I showed some Bouviers. I love the breed. I'd love to do those. I mean, I actually own some Dachshunds. Um, but, I mean, I get to do them best in show sometimes. Sometimes I do them in the owner-handler groups. I'm just happy with what, I, what I've got. I mean, I did make the point to somebody, if the American Kennel Club wants to give me more breeds, I'll probably take them. But I'm just, you know. I'm not going to worry about it. I've never had a I've never had a burning desire to be an all breed judge because there are some breeds that it's not, and this probably maybe comes off wrong. It's not that I don't care about them, but I don't have the passion for them for some of the toy breeds. I don't have the passion that I do for judging English Springer Spaniels or something like right. that, and and. I don't think it's fair to anybody, myself or the exhibitors, not to have a really passion for the breeds that you judge. Because, and I, I think that it rubs 
all those years showing the dandies, the, you know, there were so many times in, in groups and in best in shows, you put them on a table and you could just tell what, the way they go over the dog. They didn't know or care. And then you'd get those people who surprised you when, even if you, I was talking, Joan, I mentioned last week to somebody, Cyro Bernfeld was a bulldog guy. And I, I showed one of the dandies to him and I'd won the group and he did best in show. And I didn't win, but I didn't care because he went over that dog from the tip of his nose, the tip of the tail, so properly putting his hands in all the right places where everything should be. Okay, so he didn't like them better than the other ones, but at least he knew. Right. And I've always tried to believe that those low entry breeds deserve the same amount of knowledge that the breeds that have 100 at the dog show do. And that's why I've also decided I, you know, I'm happy with what I do. I'm happy with my knowledge. And why judge things you really don't have that passion for? Those that makes sense. So, so what are you doing? I, I, I think you are you a member of a kennel club. But what, what are you doing? That well, I've, I've been show chairman and secretary for the Wheaton Kennel Club for I don't know forty some years now. It seems it's been one of those positions for life. I mean, I Dorothy Welsh kind of willed it to me when she <laughs> tried to retire. Yeah, she'd been show chairman for like ever. Um, That's and a big responsibility a, too, the running dog shows. Yeah. And I am a member of the, the International Kennel Club. And well, oh, that's, that's an exciting one. That one seems to be getting a lot of talk. Right. Um, we, we have our show on Friday and then International is Saturday. Um, it is. I think the January show went good for, for somebody. I mean, I remember going to the International when I was a little kid. I remember sleeping on the benches and, you know, I remember you had to pay when you left on Saturday, you had to pay $5, leave a $5 deposit to leave the bench show, which you got back when you returned on Sunday. Oh, wow. That was when it was down at the international amphitheater and stuff. So um, it, it's, it's fun. I, I think, I think this August we're going back to McCormick place where the shows were at the end of their their life, and I think it's going to be good. A lot of things are going on. Meet the Breeds is going to be there. Um, a lot of things. The whole purpose is to to get the public back interested. Well, that's what we need. We need events. We need events to keep that's the public happy, like this past event we just had at Westminster. That's definitely an event, and it catches the public's eye, and we need those oh, shows to I, keep I think, going. I think Westminster is so important because I think if you run into people on the street, so many of them know Westminster. Oh, no they watch it on TV. They don't know anything about dogs or anything else, but they know about that. And that one little thing can lead to other things. That has been the main driving with Chicago is we want to turn this not into a dog show, but into an event. We want the public, everything we're trying to do, not everything, but most trying to bring that public in the door to get them. We're, we're doing an art contest again. We had a great response in January when we did it. This time we're opening it up to all the schools even like colleges and universities in Chicago, um, just to get, you know, we're, Meet the Breeds will be there. We're doing um, a lot of other things. Dock diving will be along the lake itself because wow. the show building is right along Lake Michigan there. So it should be a good time. 
Yeah, well, that sounds great, and I, I hope I can attend this year and get down there and see it. Um, like when I was a kid, we had our we only had one bench show when I was a kid, but it was an event. I don't know if you ever heard of the Sportsman Show. Yes, you know, I never went there. My first show in Canada was the Dandy Dumont Cup of Canada. We went up to Metropolitan. Oh, the Met, yeah. So, and that was an event too. For, uh, it was Fred Petty and, and and Herb yeah, Williams her, ran that yeah. show, and they made it an event. Yeah. It was, it was, I, we just had a great time. It was amazing. Well, I, I remember we had the sportsman show was seven days of dog shows and they're all benched. And, and I learned my most probably there as a youngster because you couldn't leave. And right. back then we get Bobby Barlow and Tommy and, and superstars of the sport showing up in Toronto to dog show. So we had to go. <laughs> right. I, I think that it, I understand very well why there's no bench shows it's hard to facility right superintendents aren't going to keep the bench into use once a year and clubs the, the cost in that is just exorbitant and then to store it and stuff i think that that's a good thing about meet the breeds because it's kind of taken that that place where public can come and talk to the people we did some we had some meet the breeds at in january and some of the clubs that helped us were just great um great displays, people got to interact with their dogs and stuff like that. And it is important. It, it helps people meet the dogs. It helps sell dogs. No, no and it's definitely, it's, it's so educational for the public. And like we had, we had the Sourcing Show in Quebec. We had the United Dog Show and they, they were packed. They were packed with public. And it's amazing when you, you talk to somebody like 15 years later, they got their first interest at those dog shows. So that's what, Boy, that's what I we think. Eat. So, I mean, that's, you know, I can remember fighting your way down the aisles at the international every year because it was packed. Yeah. It's like that. And I, I, I missed those kind of events. So I mean, I'm glad that one's back. So uh, one more question for you, Jay. You ready? Sure. It's so relaxed. Look at him. Um, if you were to meet the 20 year old Jay now, what advice would you give Jay? Um, it's a good question. Because you think Thanks. you know everything at 20. Um, it's true. I probably, with the advice I probably gave this person, I probably would have explored a boarding kennel more. Um, I, I would have shown dogs, I think, like I did. I mean, I have no regrets about that. Um, probably pay more attention to the business aspect of the handling side. Because it, it is a business if you intend to pay your bills with it. Things like that. There's no question. And I think that's uh, historically, we've all had problems with that. Correct. You know, um, when, I, when I interviewed Clay, uh, Clay Cody, he was very adamant about teaching his kids, his assistants, that part of it. Right. And then you look at, if you look at his kids, the, the kids that work for him, they've all gone that route one right. way or another. And it's, I, it was a, it was great advice. So. Yeah. No. My boss didn't give me that advice. <laughs> no, I think, it, you know, when I started young, I mean, most handlers didn't have boarding kennels. No. 
they just had their show dogs and stuff. Well, you think about it, you think you you had to line up help for the dog show, then you have to line up help for your boarding kettle. You know, it's, it's, and that was definitely easier back then. Like I couldn't imagine doing it today. It's just so hard to find anybody that wants to work anymore. So So where are you off to next? Um, I'm home this weekend. Then I, the next month is an example of saying yes and maybe scratching your head when you look at the calendar and thinking, is this really a good idea? Um, I go to California next weekend, come home, and then I go to Slovakia. Oh. Two terrier shows, um, about an hour from Vienna, they tell me. Come home, go to Louisiana for two days, and then I get home from Louisiana, hopefully, as long as the airlines deliver Sunday night because I have to leave Monday night for Australia. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm going to judge four shows over there, and then uh, I'm going to stay for a few extra days. So You got a busy month, man. Then I got, like, get home from Australia, and I have, like, I think two or three days, and then I have to be in Montana for two days. And I tell you the truth, I haven't even looked at July. <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to right now. Yeah, I think I'd be better off being surprised. Yeah, yeah. I think you want to hold back for a while. All I know is the the the, the cleaners are probably the happiest people with that kind of schedule because I spend a lot of money at dry cleaners. <laughs> we all do. I was exactly. there this morning. All right, man. Well, I appreciate your time. I'll let oh, you get you back to this. your work, and then uh, we'll catch up somewhere. I'm sure. So. It's okay. good seeing you. I just I we were on the panel together in Delaware, and it was it was fun hanging out with you. So it was it was a great time, great panel. Yeah, I, nice. I missed the storm, so I guess that was bad on the the last day. But I was yeah. already out of there. Unfortunately, it was worse that night. And during the day when I was judging, it really wasn't that bad. But the people, the grounds people, were concerned about the grounds being pulled, and they yeah, just well, decided like it's ten o'clock that we had to end it. So. I was disappointed. I didn't get to do the terrier group, and I thought it was going to be a very fun terrier group. So yeah, looks like it. Oh well, next time. Hopefully. Well, thanks, <laughs> really appreciate it. All right, man. Good to see you. Thanks, Jay. It was a great time. Uh, it's amazing how how calm you seem when we when we're talking, and it's, it's at home. At the dog shows, you're calm as well. But it just, it just seemed like you were so relaxed the whole time. Anyway, if you like what you're seeing here, make sure you press the like, share, and subscribe button. You want to find out what's happening in Will's world, go to willalexander.net. And don't forget about the podcast. Every Thursday, Wayne Kavanaugh and myself, the dog show drive. Stay safe out there. Till next time, guys. <laughs>